Welcome to Keep Them Coming with Open the Doors Coaching. I'm your host, Kristen Thomas. I'm a relationship, dating, and sex coach based in Kansas City, and I just love to talk to people about what goes on in their sex lives and relationships. I also enjoy a good conversation about love, activism, or making change in the world. Be warned, you should probably be 18 and over, and probably also listening on your headphones. Thanks for tuning in. On Keep Them Coming with Open the Doors Coaching today, I'm joined by someone that I met through uh, sort of groups and things that I've done with Sex Coach You, and it's Dr. Lene St. John. Thank you so much for being on my show today. Thank you so much for having me here today. So she's got a nickname. She also goes by the Mama Sutra. Uh, so I'm just going to read her bio here real quick. Uh, Lene is a Dr. Lene St. John, I should say, because oh, doctor's no. proper, right? Dr. Lene. Do you prefer Dr. Lene? No, just call me Lene. Okay. Well, Lene is a board certified sexologist, certified sex coach, and former professor based in the San Francisco Bay Area. She's also an author of a book called Read Me, a parental primer for the talk. Outside of her private practice, her work's been featured on like Cosmo, Forbes, Oprah, CNN, Pop Sugar, Live Strong, and Women's Health Magazine. And for more, you can go to her website and follow her everywhere at The Mama Sutra. I follow her stuff for a while, and that's why I finally reached out to her because her book, Read Me, I have been talking about that with a few clients lately, and I finally ordered my own copy, so I wanted to have you on to talk more about it today. Amazing. Thank you. Thanks for getting a copy of the book. Absolutely. I'm happy to support one of my fellow sexologists out there in the field (laughs) who's doing this really important work in the world, which is trying to help people, especially young people, prepare them for the world of sex. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. there's, There's a lot of work. That needs to be done about this. <laughs> That's for sure. Absolutely. So I'm curious, first off, what prompted you to want to write a book that is geared towards parents preparing themselves for talking to their kids about sex? Gosh, I think it's because I was that parent that needed that book. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. I mean, we know kids don't come with a, you know, a manual or anything like that. Plenty of jokes out there about that. Mm-hmm. But this, this need to figure out how to talk about this topic that is pretty hush-hush or even taboo in some areas, um, the discomfort, the, yeah, just the, the embarrassment and shame and all that stuff that comes up um, is stuff that we have to work through and, and or at least get over to be able to have these important conversations because not having conversations puts kids at risk. I agree. That's exactly something that I have said to people is that our fear, our just not wanting to get into something that's uncomfortable is actually something that can put kids in danger. Yeah. Yeah. I, um, I, I got kind of sassy with this recently because I've been, I wrote this book, I've been doing this work with, with clients and, you know, I do podcasts and the question that gets asked over and over and over is when's the right time to talk to your kids about sex. And I've sort of landed on, you know what, it doesn't really matter because if you haven't worked through some of the things you need to work through, you're just not going to do it. 
Yeah. <laughs> and that's, you know, that's a little bit of where the coaching that I do comes in. I work with people so they can get through those blocks and get, you know, either figure them out or get to a point where they can have the conversation easily and comfortably and not freak out about, you know, thinking that they're going to encourage their kids to go try these things out. Um, my daughter, when she was nine, I think she was nine when she said this, um, we were talking about why, why do parents get, you know, freaked out? And I said, well, it's, it's because parents think that if you tell your kids about sex, that kids are going to want to go out and do it. Exactly. And my, my kid said, well, you could teach me about the center of the earth, but it doesn't mean I'm going to go there. <laughs> and I was like, okay, so a nine-year-old gets it. <laughs> What a perfect response. Yeah. Yeah. So, so the book that I wrote, it, at least what I, what I hope that it helps people do. And so far the reviews that are coming in say that it's doing this is that it takes out these conversations about penises and vaginas and focuses on things like relationships. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, what's the purpose of dating? Why do people date? What do they hope to get out of it? What's, you know, that kind of like those conversations Mm -hmm. and, you know, building two conversations about love. What does it feel like to be in love? Right. So the things where we've gone wrong, in my opinion, about sex conversations in, in this culture is that we focus on sex. Mm -hmm. It's all the stuff that leads up to sex that we should also be talking about. That's actually where we should begin because without the context of, okay, first you figure out if you like someone, figure out if you want to spend more time with them, how do you do that? And then what's the result after you figure out you want to spend more time with them? Like right now, I think it perfectly explains hookup culture and yeah, Mm -hmm. because if you don't tell everybody okay, this is, this is actually the benefit of dating. You, know, you can figure out who you like, what you don't want to attract in your life and what kinds of things, you know, what, what are the qualities and characteristics of people that you, that you really, that are your people. And so, so yeah, there's, this book gives a framework. Um, I call it the five building blocks to a healthy sexuality. And they don't center on anatomy, like parts, who does what, what goes where, but it's focused on these five things that you can focus on that don't have anything to do with the parts and help you open conversations that are, that will help your kids have a healthy adult sexuality. So those five characteristics are, uh, the five aspects are communication, consent, respect, pleasure, and fantasy. I love it. You make such a valid point that when parents think about talking to their kids about sex, they really do get caught up on the mechanics Mm -hmm. and explaining all the things that go along with the physical aspects. And they're not considering that you've got to back up before that and talk about all these other things Yeah, and prepare a kid properly. So, oh. I love and adults it. aren't properly equipped. <laughs> no, no. And that, that's something I think is, is that, that struck me when I was going through this book. Um, in fact, I, I underlined something I wanted to, to read here. Um, but you said, you know, the first thing that comes to mind when, we, when one talks about sex and sexuality is different for everyone. Mm-hmm. Most people think of what goes where during a sexual act. Mm-hmm. Others think of the feelings they get when the topic is raised. 
This can be fear, shame, embarrassment, guilt, judgment, or it can be love, joy, fulfillment, happiness, etc. Uh-huh. Once we identify our own issues, we can move on to the work that needs to be done to help our children and maybe even help ourselves in the process. So I think yeah. that's such an important part of this too, is that parents have got to do the work. And that sounds like really a big part of what your book focuses on. Yeah. And it's hard. People don't really want to do the work sometimes. Right? <laughs> it's tough to face that stuff. Well, that's why we have jobs, right? Because we, <laughs> we are seeing the ramifications yeah. of a sex education system that didn't properly prepare us and our peers. Uh-huh. Well, yeah. and to be fair to all the parents out there who are uncomfortable talking about the topic, I get it. I would pro- I could probably guess that your parents didn't talk to you. Not really. <laughs> or they didn't know what to say. Right. So, you know, if, if the people around you don't know what to say, how do you ever learn? How do you ever model that behavior? How do you model that behavior for your kids if you didn't have that modeled for you? So, you know, and, and it, it just, it perpetuates though too, because when parents don't talk to their kids, kids don't learn how to talk about, you know, tough subjects with the people they love. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, this, this being able to talk through your concerns, I mean, that's a skill that you can use in your relationship, you know, when you're married or when you're, when you're dating, how do you, how do you have tough conversations if you can't have tough conversations with your family? (laughs) Yeah. You know, I know parents used to lament the teenage girl that spent hours upon hours upon hours on her phone talking to her friends, but Mm -hmm. those are the women that got to go on and learn to talk about things with people. Mm -hmm. This, this age of disconnection of moving away from talking, I think has, has been a a big part of it too. So mostly I joke about the teenage girl that talked to it because I was one of them, Uh but you know, we either got the practice elsewhere. If it wasn't coming from our parents, if we weren't learning how to talk about our feelings with our parents, we either got it from friends. And if we didn't get it from friends, then we shut down. (laughs) Yep. You know, so we're, we're now living in a society that's highly, highly shut down. I think when it comes to communication and there's a lot of people out there who are trying to do the work to open us back up. And we just happen to be doing our work focused around sexuality. Specifically. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So of course people always ask me how I got into this and I don't often get to interview other sexologists. So obviously, I mean, your, your book and the reason why you wrote that's one thing, but how did you get into this industry? Yeah. Well, um, I guess before I got into the industry, I had a little bit of interest when I was in undergrad. Um, I took a human sexuality class in college that I loved. I just, to me, it was fascinating. And at that time, I I think I was still a virgin when I took the class. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like, I didn't know anything. And my parents didn't talk to me. I don't remember going to a a sex ed class in school. I kind of think my parents opted me out because I do not remember it at all. Um, I did have the puberty one in sixth grade. That one Mm -hmm. I do remember. It was Mm -hmm. just girls, you know, back when we used to split genders to watch these videos and to learn about fourth grade. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So 
uh, you know, didn't have it in high school. Nobody talked to me about it. Um, you know, I didn't have the greatest experiences uh, in college either. So there's that. Mm-hmm. But um, my career took a different path after college. I didn't go into sex right away. I worked in human resources of all things mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> and did lots of sexual harassment investigations. Uh, so early lessons about consent. Ah, um, yeah. <laughs> and, and, and were then, you, were you shocked at how many people did not understand the concept of consent? Well, I mean, it's no, I wasn't right? shocked. <laughs> so I, I, uh, I worked in HR and I, you know, I married my college sweetheart, uh, Then we got transferred to Germany Mm -hmm. and moved to Germany when I was already pregnant with my first child. Mm -hmm. And it was living in Germany for those five years that I got to see and experience how the Germans in general and Europe in general is much more open and free about the body. Mm -hmm. Um, Nudity is not a foreign thing. Nobody nobody gets worked up about a nipple. Um, and kids play in the fountains in public parks, like little kids frolic naked in the summer Mm -hmm. when it's super hot. Nobody, nobody gets worked up about it. Mm -hmm. Um, I moved back to the States when my kids were, my oldest was five, my youngest was three. And even at a private, like semi-private pool in our community, I went to this pool and I taught my kids how to change wrapped in a towel. And they didn't have to do that same procedure when we lived in Germany. Mm-hmm. And so I, you know, there was something that was like, wow, okay, the kids aren't different. <laughs> they right. still have those little cherub bodies. So what's different? And around that same time, I also, um, I wanted to go back to school. Um, I wanted to do something more for myself, get it? Because I'd been an expat wife living at home just doing the mom thing for years. And I just, I wanted something more. And so I went back to school. I Googled human resource or no, I, um, I Googled human sexuality graduate program and found this unique school. Sadly, it doesn't exist anymore because yeah, the president Mm -hmm. passed away and didn't pass it on to anybody else, but this unique school existed and I applied and got in and went through the program. And it was that first semester that I realized this sex and parenting thing was, was important to me. Like I, I felt like I really needed to, to do something about it yeah. because I was that person who needed a book. I, I needed some sort of guidance to help me figure out why why things were like this? Why is it so difficult? It doesn't have to be that difficult. So how, how can it be made easy? And so I really think, you know, if I did my job, this book does make it easy for, it makes it easier for people to be able to have conversations, to help their kids have a normal, healthy adult sexuality. Um, I'll give one little anecdote here too, that sort of I think illustrates really, really well the, the outcome of having these conversations and being open, as open as you can with your kids. So when they were really little, and a lot of like them being little is written about mm-hmm. in the book. You'll hear lots of anecdotes in there mixed mm-hmm. in with the science. But um, 
as my daughters have gotten older, and this is a more recent conversation, probably the last couple of years, my oldest and I were talking and she said, you know, when I decide I finally want to have sex, I want to find somebody that I feel really comfortable with. And I was like, okay, uh, that's interesting. Tell me more. Uh-huh. What do you mean? And she said, I get the sense that sex is awkward. So I want to find somebody that I'm totally comfortable being awkward with. She's right. Um, <laughs> she's, she's right. She's right. It's, uh, that's a level of, um, a level of intimacy and a level of awareness, self-awareness that's and understanding. Awareness. Yeah. That's a level of awareness most adults don't get. Yeah. I don't think I had it in my thirties. <laughs> I went back to school in, you know, in my forties and uh, for sexuality. And it was probably not until I got there that I started to begin to understand that. So, you know, I, I'm, I'm pleased that she has that, con- that she came to that conclusion on her own. I was, that was not prompted. I did not tell her that, that that was the quote unquote right answer but it's a damn good one. <laughs> but what I will say is she may not have gotten to that conclusion had you not given her factual sexual yeah. health information, yeah. timely information that was age appropriate yeah. and been curious to, you know, along with her, not just yeah. telling her what she should think, but I think parents have to come at this from an extreme place of curiosity like not making assumptions as to why your kid might be asking this question. Yeah. Um, you, you did good mom. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> no, she, I mean, both my girls make me pretty proud. Like I can watch love Island, um, which is my, I mean, I love that show. <laughs> Do you watch love Island? Is that it's, a British show where they kind of set people up? <laughs> It may have started in the UK. It's okay. actually, that version is pretty funny because you, I mean. I've seen clips on Facebook. <laughs> SNL did a really funny satire about the Love Island UK, but Love Island US is is entertaining. But the entertainment that I get out of it is more, <laughs> it's just, this is a geeky thing to say, but I like the takeaways. <laughs> uh-huh the things that the conversations I've been able to have with my daughter about what people, you know, why people act the way they're acting and, and what they're like when they're doing something that's not helping their case. Right. (laughs) So, uh, you know, sort of the arguments, the manipulations, sometimes the, um, how not to handle a situation when things sort of go off the rails and, Uh, mm -hmm. you know, so it's, it's, and then like, sort of the relationship red flags that pop mm-hmm, up. Mm-hmm. Like where else do you get kind of a window or a fishbowl to look at and, you know, point at it and be like, look at this. Like, this is not how you should act. <laughs> so it's, it's, it's great. It's great TV. <laughs> I watched I enjoy it. it out, yeah. Sure. Yeah. We're in sort of the final weeks, I think right now, but um I think it was like that first week, there was two or three real drama <laughs> moments that, that were, you know, very nice to, to break down with my, my youngest and I watched that together. 
It is interesting <laughs> when you can get the um, teachable moments. Yeah, yeah. And be like, okay, it. so yeah, we're going to chat about this. <laughs> and yell at the TV, right? <laughs> right. Yes, right, right. One of the things that I get asked about a lot from clients is how do they even broach the topic? It's, it's sort of like they, again, kind of not, not keeping in mind your approach where you're talking about all these things that build up. So say a parent who's not read your book and not been preparing, that they're so scared about having the talk and, and they worry about all the things that are going to come up. So how do you sort of recommend people who have come into this a little less prepared and are now faced with having to just sit down and talk about sex and relationships? Like, first off, what's, what makes it so hard for parents to sit down and do this? I think what makes it hard to sit down and have these conversations is when you aren't sure yourself of what to say. Mm -hmm. So sometimes it doesn't even matter what question your kids ask. If you're not prepared, you're not going to know what to say. You're not going to do it. You're going to distract. You're going to um, redirect. Um, you're going to change the, or change sort of the focus of the, the question. Like your kid asks, you know, where did I, where did I come from? Mm -hmm. um, and then, you know, some parents might be like, well, who asked you that? Or, or where'd you hear that? And make it about something completely different and not answer the question. Mm -hmm. So, you know, parents who have a difficult time with this, um, I, you know, one of the, it's kind of a similar question to when's the best time to talk to your kids about mm -hmm. sex. Mm -hmm. You know, the book that I wrote is not an ages and stages sort of book. It's mm -hmm. not going to tell you when your kid's five, you say this. When they're 12, you say this. What I've done is I've laid out these five concepts that if you read through the book and you, you understand the importance of you know, each of these five and how they relate to a person's growing sense of self, you'll see that it doesn't matter if, you're, if the kids are two or, you know, you've got a grandparent who's 102, like the, the basic concepts are going to be pretty universal. So communication, if you're focusing on communication, giving your kids skills to be able to communicate their needs, their emotions, their feelings, their desires, their wants, what, what's, what's coming up for them, mm -hmm. that's going to help them throughout their lives, right? Doesn't mm -hmm. matter how old they are. And so focusing on being able to communicate what's up, what's going on, what are they seeing, what are they feeling, et cetera. So communication is the first. Consent, um, you know, I don't know that I even heard it called consent before, I don't know, maybe 2009. Mm -hmm. So maybe somewhere around there, these conversations are basically permission. Mm -hmm. um, and I know that adults have seen or experienced this or versions of these things throughout their lives. So one example I write about in the book is tickling. Mm -hmm. um, you know, when my kids were little and we were wrestling around playing and I can, I, gosh, they were I think my oldest was probably in that five, six, seven age range when this happened. And, you know, the kids on their back and me, this bigger adult is over them, tickling them. And I sort of had this moment where I 
could see myself in that reverse position where I'm on the ground being tickled and there's someone much more, much bigger than me above me tickling me. And there's this, you know, I, I started to empathize with the kid knowing that there's kind of a feeling of loss of control. You are up against somebody who's so much bigger than you and it might feel scary because mm-hmm. I mean, even though tickling is fun, there is often a point where it's not fun anymore. Yeah. And so I, you know, I stopped and I was like, you know, I want to try something. I want to play a game. Um, and I'm telling this to my, my daughter. When I'm tickling you, if you ever want me to stop, I want you to just tell me to stop and I'll stop. I said, are you, are you, do you want to try this? She's like, okay. And so I tickle, tickle, tickle. And she, I can see that point sort of rising and she says, stop. So I froze. I didn't move. I didn't change my face. I didn't pout. I didn't get angry. I just froze. And I watched her eyes look for any sort of micro expression, micro change. Mm -hmm. And when she saw that it was safe, she gave me this little squinty eyed grin and she said, go. Mm -hmm. And so we went back to tickling, but I think if I can speak for my daughter, she could see that it was safe and that there was no, there was no danger in me, you know, pouting or like I said, any of that stuff that she had control, Mm -hmm. that she had the ability to say, stop. Mm -hmm. And that's a really important lesson for any kid to learn, for any adult to learn, for any woman, (laughs) anyone socialized as a female to learn. And so- You were giving her agency. Exactly. That's exactly what it was. So, you know, this, these little lessons like that, um, you know, I, I gave that same example at a speech in, I went with the Institute that, um, that I studied at to China. I got the opportunity to lecture in China and one of the other sexologists in our contingent came up to me afterwards and said, your example with tickling hit home with me because I was that kid who was scared and was no longer having fun and I couldn't get the person to stop. Mm-hmm. And so it's like these examples, um, I have another one. Um, I had somebody who wrote an email to me after they saw me on TV talking about consent around the Santa Claus thing. Mm-hmm. And they wrote to me, um, I, like I had my phone off in the studio and I opened it up and there was an email. And this person said that they were brought to tears when they saw what I was talking about because they were in their 70s and they were not allowed to have protective boundaries when they were young. Some examples they gave were like they had to kiss a dead relative in the casket. Mm. Um, They were supposed to address and greet a family member who was an abuser of them, like their own abuser. Mm -hmm. And so it's like all of the... (laughs) Consent is just like giving kid agency over their body and giving them permission to say no. <laughs> it's just, I just marvel at how, you know, when people, you know, say they don't get it. Like it's, it's really, it's really powerful stuff. Very. 
Yeah. So yeah, a couple examples. There's, there's plenty more examples of, of why consent is important, but it's, it's, you know, if you're teaching a kid this stuff when they're two, it's going to be useful when they're 12 and really useful when they're 22, like throughout their lives, they're going to, they're going to be moments where being able to speak up for themselves and stop things when they don't want them. It's going to be important. Absolutely. Absolutely. I could not agree with you more on that. Well, I want to take a quick break. And after that, I actually have a listener question for you to answer. Okay. Okay. All right. Okay. Done with the break there. So Lene, I had actually a friend reach out recently because she's been struggling with something. And I said, oh, this is perfect timing because I'm interviewing someone this week who can help answer this question for us. (laughs) This listener question is great because I think it relates to one of your building blocks, which is about fantasy. You talk about um, porn and realism in your book. And so this question comes from a friend of mine because she's got a son who she's found watching porn. She's had some talks already the last few years about consent and masturbation. Um, But when she found this stuff that he's been looking at online, she had a talk about, she said, basically, it's okay to be curious, but these materials are not for children. Well, I found out last night, he's been looking stuff up again. So we had to have the same talk, but a more expanded version. But I feel a little bit lost on how to handle it. So what would you recommend to her at this point? Yeah. Out of curiosity, how old is the kid? 12. Yeah. Okay. So that's, uh, it seems like that's the exact age where this curiosity sort of (laughs) begins or Mm -hmm. around that age. Um, You know, I think where, where I began this conversation with my kids was to point out to them, there are things you can't unsee. Mm -hmm. And this is more literal for people who are, are blessed with a mind's eye, I guess, because they literally can't unsee it. Um, But this, uh, the conversations I had with my kids was to tell them if they had any questions, feel free to come ask me. And then being prepared to either research the answer if I didn't know it or to, you know, depending on their age, go get the answers or go research the answers together. Mm -hmm. Um, There are lots of great resources out there that give pretty comprehensive information if you're looking for it about sexuality. Um, uh, It's almost more of a high school slash, you know, college level, but there's one called The Guide to Getting It On. Mm -hmm. Um, That's, that's a good book for for the parents if they, yeah, it's, um, it's going to give you a little bit of an overview of what the thing is, um, (laughs) just Mm -hmm. sort of generally. So, you know, being an open resource for your kids to come to. Um, but I think porn itself, besides the, you know, not being able to unsee it, um, and actually let me give you a little more information about that one. So when I say there are things you can't unsee, um, you can extend that to conversations about um, just regular movies, 
right? Mm -hmm. So for me, the things I can't unsee, um, the alien coming out of the guy's stomach in the movie <laughs> Aliens, yeah, right? Like it doesn't matter if it's porn or not. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes there's things that are disturbing that you, you know, it, it comes to your head if you <laughs> recall it and it's not always yeah. nice. Uh -huh. So porn can be like that, especially if you're just generally Googling things. There's, there's some stuff out there that's not that great. Right. Um, that's why I'm a big fan of ethical porn and paying for your content. Yeah. And it, exactly. There's, there's something to be said for that. There are things out there. There are directors that do work that give you a little more of that. Um, there's almost like a little story behind mm -hmm. it too. Mm -hmm. um, uh, porn can be a little more when it's visual or video porn, it's a little more, um, there's less imagination that's involved. It's, it's, um, I would say it's not always ideal. Um, do you remember the book forever? I've heard of it. So there was a Judy Bloom book that was quite yeah. controversial when I yeah, was growing okay. up. All of a sudden the, the book cover <laughs> popped into my head. Yes. I remember that book and it, so, it had some graphic details in it. So for me, I don't think there's anything wrong with, um, books like that, mm -hmm. because if a kid's interested in it, they'll read it, mm -hmm. but they'll come up with their own understanding of what they're reading, like their own images in their head versus having someone show them an image that they mm -hmm. should be thinking of with this situation, right? Like mm -hmm. they're, they're able to use their imagination better, but more importantly, if it's not interesting to them, they won't read it. Like mm -hmm. you can't force me to read a book. Like, <laughs> I mean, if you assign it to me, maybe, but like, if I'm not interested in the topic, I'm not going to read it. Like, I'm just not. <laughs> mm -hmm. So, you know, I think erotica, if somebody's interested, could be an okay thing for them to, you know, look into. Um, mm -hmm. Again, it's going to be something if they're interested in it, they're going to read it. Um, I mean, look at, Fifty Shades of Grey when that came out, <laughs> mm -hmm. but some people didn't like it, so they didn't read it. So um, not everybody's gonna, you know, like the same things. Um, there are um, there's audio erotica right mm -hmm. now. Mm -hmm. Dipsy, I think, is um, I don't even know what the website is off the top of my head. It maybe something as simple as dipsy.com, but I know that yeah. there's a hiking trail in Marin County here in California that's called the Dipsy. So. <laughs> I, uh, I know it's not I, the same thing. <laughs> I have a Dipsy subscription and okay. actually, listeners out there, if you're interested, check the show notes and I will put a discount code there for you too. Excellent. Excellent. Yeah. So there are, if a person is looking for a way to be stimulated or to get stimulation, porn is not the only game in town. Mm -hmm. um, the other things that are risky with, um, with, I guess, learning from porn, um, if there aren't, if we're not teaching kids about sex, about what real sex is, and their only examples are porn, they're not going to learn. <laughs> it's, it's not going to be the right way to learn. Yeah. And the analogy I've, one of my colleagues came up with was you don't learn how to drive by watching Fast and the Furious videos. <laughs> yes right? Like they never stopped to get gas. Like, <laughs> so, 
you know, it's, how do you, how do you learn how to drive by watching something like that? So how do you learn about sex, real sex, interacting, connecting the intimacy? You don't learn that from porn. So it's not a complete picture. It's not, it's just made primarily to get someone off. And that's not enough. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, it's enough for some people, <laughs> you know what I mean? But yes. it's not, it's not education. It should not be education. And the fantasy piece, how that ties in, I mean, basically everything I've just said, but if we're not making sure that we're talking to kids about sexuality, about real sexuality, then we run the risk of them learning about it. Everything else out there is someone else's fantasy. Mm-hmm. So um, I guess specifically for this, this parent, um, you know, it's probably the best way to approach it is about the, the violation of rules. Mm-hmm. Um, because it's, you know, if they had a rule that this wasn't allowed, um, then that, you know, hold, um, uphold the rules of the house. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then make sure that, you know, they know that there are things you can't unsee. Cause I think that's, yes. that's yes. sort of the bottom line. Well, and I, you know, I'm thinking about your other pillars that you talked about too, in, you know, respect mm-hmm. for yourself and how that can also be maybe utilized for some of that, but yeah, let's, yeah. let's go ahead and talk about, that was a great answer, by the way. Thank you so much. For <laughs> it's long, but <laughs> no, it's, it, but it's okay because there's no quick answer to this. Yeah. And, and all of these, I mean, basically anything about sex, there's nuance that we can't always address, right? Like, mm-hmm. um, I answer questions on Quora fairly regularly. People just asking questions about dating, relationships, love, sex, um, all of that stuff. And so it's interesting to see the common themes about what people ask about. And a lot of it is, am I normal? And the other sort of half of it is like, am I doing this right? Or actually, no, there's a big part of like, how do I why is this person doing this thing? What does it mean if they do this thing? So, mm-hmm. <laughs> so those are, those are fun questions too. Um, I kind of went off on tangent about that. What, uh, well, <laughs> repeat your question. <laughs> That's okay. So, well, so with other, your other pillars that you talk about with like respect and, and pleasure, tell me more about some of those. So respect is respect for self, but it's also respect for others. And the, the issues around respect, I mean, I guess, I guess nudity fits in there as well mm-hmm. because this respect for your body, this awareness that um, nudity isn't sex, mm-hmm. um, you know, seeing a, a nipple, seeing a breast isn't sex, but for whatever reason, you know, Americans typically overreact about that. I did a whole episode with a fine art nude model called nudity is not synonymous with sex and had a whole conversation about that. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Amazing. Okay. I have to go back and and listen to that one. But yeah, the, um, there was, I think I wrote about this one in the book as well. The example of a friend of my daughter's came over and they were on the computer and the friend Googled boobs. And I think their age was like nine or 10 around this time. And so 
you know, as a parent, I could totally freak out, right? My, I told my daughters with that porn conversation that if they ever wanted to know something, they could ask me, just don't Google it. And so right. when, when she Googled boobs, my daughter was like, mom, she's Googling boobs. <laughs> and I, yeah. you know, hurried, hustled up to like, stop. But, um, this, if I, if I remove myself from the emotion of the <gasps> shock, mm-hmm. um, reaction and ask, why is she Googling boobs? Mm-hmm. I come to the conclusion very quickly that, okay, a nine-year-old, 10-year-old is probably getting her breast buds, which this little girl was. She was just starting to develop. And in my head, the answer that I would be looking for if I were Googling at that age would be, what is, what's the possibility of what, I, what am I going to look like? Mm-hmm. Right? Like, what, what are the possibilities? I'm getting these things on my chest that... Uh, you know, what, what, what is this, what is it going to mean? Or what's, (laughs) what's it going to look like? Mm -hmm. And I think that's a fair question. Kids are curious. Um, and we can't get upset if we're not going to talk about it. If we're not going to explain things or talk about things with them, we really can't get mad when they go Google it because that's what we do. Yeah. You know, if we're going to go out and Google things that we don't understand, our kids are just problem solving. It's a Google is, you know, it's, trying to help them problem solve or answer this question. Yeah. And I mean, the algorithm doesn't help us all the time because <laughs> <No>. <laughs> I don't know if you've Googled boobs, but it's not like, at least the last time I looked, it was not, <laughs> not normative. Yeah. <laughs> you, were, you were seeing some pretty extreme examples of boobs. Right. Um, but so I, I talked to their parent and I suggested, okay, well, this is the, you know, this is what happened at the house today. You know, as somebody who teaches about this, I can understand why she was curious. So maybe a, a solution would be to go to a museum. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, and I don't know, I haven't been to a museum lately, but uh, I know that there've been some instances in the United States in this last decade where uh, I think there was a Gauguin painting of a woman one woman, native woman, I think it was the name of the painting where one woman has an exposed breast and someone went into the, the museum and wanted to like rip it off the wall because it showed this bare breast. Like, so I don't know if we have that many museums that have a bare have breast in them. at the Nelson Atkins Museum of Art here. In okay. <laughs> but do you know what I mean? Like, Oh, <laughs> yeah, they're so repressed about a breast being shown yeah. in a piece of art that has existed yeah. for hundreds of years that <laughs> thousands of eyes have gazed upon. And there's nothing wrong with boobs. There's no. nothing wrong with boobs. No. So um, my recommendation was to, you know, to try to see some, uh, you know, art, some examples in fine art. Mm-hmm. Um, another way if you live in an area where this is possible, um, in California where I live, and I don't even know if they're open right now because of quarantine, but there used to exist some, pa- some spaces um, where clothing was optional. Mm-hmm. And I think it happened after my kids were this age, so I didn't write about it in the book, but I've taken my daughters to some of these clothing optional spaces. And 
One in particular was one that I discovered when I was back at the Institute for um, the Advanced Study of Human Sexuality. And it was a, like on certain days, there were women only, other days were men only. Um, the co-ed days were not clothing optional, but the days that were women only were the days that I took my daughters. And it was, it was a beautiful experience because my kids, I think they were either 10 or 12 at the time. And they got to sort of frolic around at this spa doing these self-care practices. And it was almost like, I shouldn't say frolicking because it was more ritualistic. Like you, you give yourself a sponge bath to begin. Mm -hmm. And so you clean yourself before you, you know, you're walking around with everyone else. And then you do, um, you get your towels and you are able to go into the sauna mm -hmm. for a period of time. And then you go do a cold dunk. So you're in this super cold, like, I don't know, 50 degree big tub and you dunk yourself in there and you come out and then you go into the steam room. And in the steam room, they had these small cups of coarse salt. And so in the steam room, you got to scrub your skin all over your body with this coarse salt to like open your pores and cleanse yourself. And, and then you, you know, rinsed in the shower that was in this steam room. And then from there, you went back to the cold dunk. And the final step was to go just relax in this, in this hot tub. And it's a very quiet and serene uh, space where if anyone talks or gets boisterous or loud, there's a small gong <laughs> that, it, you know, if somebody is offended by other people talking, they can go over and gong the gong and it means be quiet. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, my kids were able to behave and respect the space, but they also got to move about with people of all different ages, all different body types, um, all different, you know, fitness levels. And, you know, some women were clothed, some women weren't, majority weren't, but it gave my kids the most real uh, moment, I guess, mm -hmm. of being able to exist in this space and have like my own experience of it was an appreciation for my body, mm -hmm. you know, just, just this respect and appreciation for my body. And so, so yeah, it was, it was, it's a, it's a wonderful experience. And I know I can see how my kids have benefited from doing that at that young age, because they don't have the shame about their bodies that I grew up with. Mm -hmm. And that, you know, that's another thing. It's like my kids don't have the, the hangups I had. I've, <laughs> I've solved that problem for them. Yeah. And I think the, the last bullet point or the last block to talk about is pleasure. Mm -hmm. um, pleasure is, it, it's a difficult one for parents as is fantasy, to be honest. Yes. But sure. the thing that I think I want people to take away is pleasure is more than sexual pleasure. Mm 
-hmm. It's so much more. And especially now, for example, with quarantine, it's been really tough for people. And so having things that we get pleasure from have been really important for us to keep our sanity, our, our mental health. So it's not about, it's not always about sex. Mm -hmm. Um, but also hugs can be very powerful. I used to also do some work with cuddlist.com, um, sort of like therapeutic cuddling for people who really needed it. And it, it was, it was wonderful work to do for the first thing, but I got to see and experience my clients re, I guess, relearning how to connect with people. Mm -hmm. Um, I had clients who were in touchless marriages. I had clients who, um, who grew up with problematic parents, parents who they, they didn't really attach to properly. Mm -hmm. And so being able to connect with another person and feel, you know, non-sexual attention Mm -hmm. and caring was revolutionary, Mm -hmm. just really revolutionary. And so pleasure is more than, than sexual pleasure. It is, it's something that people can come back to Mm -hmm. when they're, you know, if they're, they've recently gone through a breakup, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it can be super healing for people. Yeah. So yeah. So those, each of the five building blocks have, you know, plenty of examples in them. I, I talk about the research that I found to justify why each of those five were my five. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're, the bucket is kind of, it's sort of like a bigger bucket. There are lots of things that fit within all of those you know, five points. Yeah. But, you know, they, they all sort of come together to, and I guess how I landed on them was sitting in one of my first lectures in my first trimester of school mm-hmm. and hearing someone, you know, talk about being a, a former sex worker, um, you know, the, the things that they learned. And I started to, you know, sort of land on the issues and concerns and dysfunction or whatever you want to call it around sexuality that people experience, I would say it's pretty safe to say that there's a failure to have taught about any one of those five or a combination of those five concepts, communication, consent, respect, pleasure, or fantasy. Mm-hmm. So yeah, if you want to help your kids, <laughs> if you yourself want to have a better connection to your partner, or you want to feel more free, uh, you want to really understand what it feels like to be intimate with somebody, intimacy not being quote unquote sexual intimacy, but closeness and really liking them. Um, read the book. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Uh, it lays it out, I think pretty well. I'm going (laughs) to be recommending this book to lots (laughs) of people, clients and friends alike. And, and I, I do some workshops occasionally or have, you know, when school is in session, we'll, we'll see what happens virtually or whatever, but have done some sessions at some of the schools about how to help their kids develop healthy relationships. Yeah. 
and you know, like some of the research that I've seen talks about how important it is that sexual health information come from parents. Yeah. Because kids actually do listen to their parents. Yeah, they but do. That there's so many reasons that hold parents back. Yeah. You know, I, I wrote a blog post about that too. I used to ask my college students, where did you learn about sex? Mm -hmm. And we would come up, we'd fill the blackboard with all these different sources. And my follow-up question was, where do you wish you learned? Mm -hmm. And the first semester I thought it was a fluke, but it happened every semester after that. The first answer was always my parents. I wanted to hear from my parents. Mm -hmm. So yeah, they want to hear from you. <laughs> They do. And they will listen. I think that's the thing parents need to be empowered with that knowledge that kids really do listen to you when they get out into situations and they're faced with the choice of, do I keep myself safe or do I participate in this risky behavior? You know, mm -hmm. do I do this thing and go to this place or do I hear my mom's voice in the back of my head telling me to make good decisions? <laughs> Yeah. Or, you know, think about the lessons that they've learned about how to make choices. Yeah. So yeah, that's, that's, that's the good news, right? The kids yeah, actually will listen to your voice when they are empowered, especially when they're empowered with factual information and yeah. timely knowledge. So, <laughs> so yep, 100%. Before we leave off today, like, so to the audience, I'll let you know, Lene and I talked you know, by email and course, I'll chat a little bit before the show and something that's out there right now in pop culture that a lot of people are talking and fighting and yelling about is uh -huh. cuties. Like I've watched it. You've watched it, right? Yeah, I watched it. I watched it this yeah. week preparation, you know, for this conversation. Cause I wasn't sure. And, and I'm with you. I, I don't actually want to give much commentary about what went on, on that movie. Yeah. You know, there's the, there is one thing I think I could, I could, leave people with is to, um, and it's, it's the same concept. And I'm, I'm sort of like thinking this through, talking it through and correct me if you think I'm wrong. There's a bit of a risk when people say that they're an expert in something because they're a therapist. Mm -hmm. um, I know for certain that not all therapists get good education around sexuality. Right. And so, so when, you know, when someone says, oh, you know, I'm an expert in, or they put themselves out as a sex coach or, or a sex therapist, but they don't have um, a lot of background and education or training in it. It's, um, I mean, it's, it's more damaging um, to say, you know, something about something that you really haven't gotten a really deep education about. Um, so I guess what I'm looking for out there these days around that movie is, is, there's a lot of claiming that it's grooming. Um, somebody show me what actually, like, give me a list of what grooming is. Cause they're, they're saying, oh, this is it. That, you know, the examples in the movie are it. Mm -hmm. But is it really? Cause it's been happening. All the things that are in this movie are basically the same things that have been existing since, you know, my sister was in dance. Yeah. <laughs> she, you know, and if they were having girls wear makeup then years if ago. That's what I want the conversation to be about that. It's not about this movie. It's about, for me, why is the uproar around this movie so verbose? Why is everyone yeah. so up in arms about this particular film? Because yeah. this stuff has been going on for a while. Yeah. And it's not about cinema. It's th this 
are imitates life. Yeah. And yeah, yeah. I feel <laughs> that's a good that, example of that. <laughs> I feel that this film exists because there's a culture that exists around the way that we sexualize young girls. Yeah, it's showing us something and we don't like what we're seeing, but we're blaming that, the movie. That. We are seeing what's going on in our society. And the, the, the fact that this is a foreign film, I think, is easy to sort of put it on, oh, well, the French have different attitudes about sexuality and, you know, the young, the main character, Ami's background as a Senegalese young woman um, is, is sort of a separate issue. To me, I think about in America, I did dance when I was little. Mm -hmm. um, I was not allowed to wear makeup outside of dance recitals, mm -hmm. but it was okay for that. I was not allowed, matter though. <laughs> right. I was not allowed to wear, my mom didn't purchase clothes that had me scantily clad, but I remember a genie outfit that basically was a tube top oh. with, you know, elastic bands to keep it on my shoulders and, and you know, like genie pants. But my mom proudly displayed this photo of me in that dance outfit in our home you know like but yeah. so like there's this whole thing that parents feel like maybe there's this line there but it gets so blurred in some areas and that we're okay with that line being blurred until it's put in our faces yeah i got chills on that that's um <laughs> to what are we telling kids i mean <laughs> it's the grooming conversation right like if we display pictures in our homes of our kids tarted up, <laughs> you know, there's context, sure, that it's a performance, but, you know, are we then confused why women have a difficult time figuring out their pleasure when they get older? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's a, uh, it's yeah. a moment. <laughs> it is. It is. The, and, and there's also a lot going on right now with Cardi B and Megan the Stallion song, Wet Ass Pussy. Uh huh. Uh, I mean, just come. I think that song, that, first of all, I like, I like the song, the beat. It's the, great. Yeah. <laughs> it's a great song. It's, it's been stuck in my head for weeks now. And I had uh, a friend of mine who, I spoke to her, her ex who's a bartender. So she's like, Oh, have you heard from him lately? She's like, yeah, he's just been bartending. And Oh my God. He said that cause he's in Jefferson city, Missouri. It's our state capital. It's mm -hmm. highly conservative. And he said that, you know, the song came on a couple of men were like, turn that off. And of course I'm a Missourian. So I can make this reference. I can just imagine some rednecks being like, turn that crap off. And he's like, why? Look at those girls over there dancing. They love it. Can't you just watch yeah. them and enjoy them enjoying it? Like, shut up. Yeah. yeah. But well, I, mean, I don't understand it's, the outrage. That's where I'm at is I don't understand the outrage over both mm -hmm. of these things. Yeah. I mean, you have to look at what, you know, what are the things, what's common about it? It's, it's. The creators are women of color. It could be that. And it could also be just female sexuality. Oh, female sexuality um, too. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And female yep. bodies yep. and how do we absorb and digest those things? And yeah, I mean, this so, comes out in, this comes out in the client work that I have as well, because I, you know, in working with couples and this has been even just people writing into me and asking questions, there's a, there's a thing that happens where men don't get 
educate people, I should say specifically, cisgendered hetero men <laughs> uh, never learn pleasure, mm-hmm. female pleasure. Um, they figure out sex by masturbation or through those awkward fumblings with their first partners, but it doesn't mean that they ever master their craft, right? Right. <laughs> like they, they, if they don't learn about female pleasure, they don't know how to really pleasure a woman. So you might, I mean, I have some examples of clients who, you know, the female partner knows her body, knows what she likes and, and is getting disappointed because her partner cannot meet her. He just sort of like goes back into his pattern and does what, you know, does what's worked for him for years, but it doesn't give his partner pleasure. And like, that's a, that's a big problem. (laughs) And so if you have women singing about female pleasure, pay attention. (laughs) Pay attention and learn something. (laughs) You have somebody who's willing to tell you, listen, pay attention. (laughs) If you have a partner who knows her body, let her teach you. (laughs) Yes. Yes. There's nothing wrong with finding a woman who it's a, it's amazing when you have a woman who's willing to teach you, but pay attention and listen, don't go into it. Oh, I, I could teach you a thing or two. Mm-hmm. Or I, you know, I know everything there is to know already. <laughs> no, I read a study recently that said <laughs> that most, when they looked at men and asked them where they got their either practice or information, it was usually a female partner that was older. Hmm. Mm. Well, the older isn't important so much as knowing her body, right? And so maybe older has matched because women really haven't figured that out until they were older. Because we don't get the proper education we need, we have to use time and experiences to get that education. And unfortunately for some of us, that means that we can have some not so great experiences. So again, that's why you and I exist. (laughs) Why we have jobs. (laughs) Yes. We are trying to help this world be a better place one orgasm at a time, right? Yeah. Yeah. And I've been really thankful during quarantine because my practice has, has exploded. People wanting help. (laughs) I've gotten two messages since we started recording this episode of people that are new inquiring about my services. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, I mean, I, I, I feel for my therapist friends who are getting the, we can't do this anymore. You know, those kinds of conversations, Mm -hmm. the ones I'm getting are like, we, it's like pleasure enhancement. We want to connect. We want to, uh, enhance our relationships. We want to, we want to have more sex and we want to enjoy it. Yes. I'm getting a lot of we love each other. We never really had great sex because neither uh-huh. of us had a lot of information or practice uh-huh. and we know uh-huh. it could be better. So I love working with people like that, that are in love and committed. They just uh-huh. know there could be so much more yeah. pleasure wise. So yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm also getting a lot of singles who are ready to kind of get their hearts mended fully and get back out there on the dating scene in a safe way. Yeah. Same. I'm the, I have a lot of singles who are, who want to better themselves so that when they do start dating again, they're ready. Isn't it fulfilling work to just see people blossom again? Yeah. Yeah. So 
the client work has totally been my favorite. And I think, I mean, I have a couple things happening that are less one-on-one client focused. I've got a, a deep dive sort of intro um, dive into the book, um, helping parents address some of these things so they can have these conversations openly and, and freely, mm-hmm. um, the conversations with their kids. But, you know, if you can't talk to your kids about sex, you probably have trouble talking to your partner. So mm-hmm. the class will help with both. And um, I know in October, I'm, I'm looking at putting together a women's group. I'm not sure if I'm going to do it sort of as a beta test or if I'm just going to launch it. Mm-hmm. But um, there's a women's group coming and this, uh, this parenting course coming. Very good. So how can people get a hold of you if they would like to order your book or find you on social media? Yeah, thank you. So I'm everywhere on social media as at the Mama Sutra, T-H-E-M-A-M-A-S-U-T-R-A, all one word. Um, I have been doing a lot less on social media and just loving on the people that have given me their email address. So probably the best way to get stuff from me and like live things and I ask questions of my the people that are on my list, like, what do you want? What do you need? And like, I'm building stuff that are direct responses to what people are asking for. So getting on my email list is probably the best um, way to really keep, keep tabs and keep in contact with me. Um, so it's uh, on my main website, themamasutra.com. There you can get the link for my book or it's available anywhere on Amazon, Barnes and Noble, anywhere online. You can get it in your local bookstore, but you'll probably have to you know, request it. Um, if they don't have it in stock, but it's available. The courses, I've got some, some things on my site right now under resources. I've got some workbooks that are available. Mm-hmm. Um, I've got the book and I've got on my main page right now, what I have is a freebie called Touch Lab. Mm-hmm. And it's, uh, it's, you know, it's a little bit of that sensate focus stuff, but I made it more kind of mm-hmm. like a role play between couples. Um, so that's, that's the freebie (laughs) that'll actually get you on your site, but on the site, but on my list. But Mm -hmm. if you, if you buy anything from the site, that'll also put you on the list. So I'm loving on my list these days. (laughs) They're getting, they're getting all sorts of good stuff coming their way. (laughs) I'll have to get on that list as well. (laughs) So again, her book is called read me a parental primer for the talk. Dr. Lene St. John Thank you again so very, very much for being on Keep Them Coming. This has been an absolute pleasure to talk to you and get to know you better. Thank you. And I wish you all the best. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening to Keep Them Coming with Open the Doors Coaching. Please rate, subscribe, and share this podcast. And check the show notes for stuff we discussed in the episode. You can find me on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. But visit my website if you want more information about me and my coaching services. You can join my not safe for work email list called The Dirty Bird if you want more content about sex and relationships. You can support said content, like my work with this podcast and other forms of media, by visiting listener support with Anchor FM or visit patreon.com to become one of my patrons. Again, check the show notes. I have links for you there. My theme song is original music by M. Kusa. Until next time.